0: You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And today is day one of the All-Star break. I am on PTO, so it's day one of my All-Star break. It could not be a better day. And you know why else it could not be a better day? Because Matt Moore, hardwood paroxysm, as some of you know I'm the best OG blog of all time, unfortunately no longer, in operation, is here to talk about the new-look Pacers, how they're playing, how they look, how they fit Rick Carlisle's style, and how the vets who haven't played with them yet will fit with this team so before we
0: talk about that the big question matt how you doing man i'm doing well man glad to be on with you i should have changed my my background when we're doing this on youtube because i do have uh, a rare ink poster of paul george from his indiana days i could have put up in the background (laughs) it was love the although maybe not maybe not the most popular guy in indiana anymore but glad to be on (laughs) with you glad to have this
1: break he is my favorite player i've ever covered so i would have been Thrilled to see that, but yes, many a fan would not have been excited to see a picture of Paul George in the background for this show. Chuck Person is my you know, non-committal nice. bobblehead that I have chosen for this. Very good player, but a lot of people who watch on YouTube and can actually see him are younger and don't actually know much about the Chuck Person playing days. So, the Tyrese Halbert era has descended upon Indianapolis. They won their first game of said era against the Wizards on Wednesday night. They're playing really fast. Jalen Smith suddenly is good. Buddy Heald's having 36-point games. Tristan Thompson looks like Shaq jumping and dunking against the Wizards. Now he's gone. But still, they look like a whole different basketball team all of a sudden compared to the Pacers squad we saw earlier this season. They're young. They're trying to be really good next year. They're building. What have your first impressions kind of been of this rebuilt, retooled, whatever terminology Kevin Pritchard doesn't want to use, Pacers basketball team?
0: It's fun, right? Like they're they're playing with a lot more verve joie de vivre as i always say a little a little, a little bit more joy because they're young and, and more experienced i'm really curious just because this team feels very incomplete with the guys missing and trying to figure out like those are very good players as so they're trying to slide them in you know i think hal burton is a really good fit for carlisle um just with his control of the pick and roll, his ability to both space the floor and deliver um setting up shooters i think that in time that will work out a pretty good combo i always worry about guards with rick carlisle because he gets a lot out of them and sets them up a lot but he's also very hard on them there's a long history of guys that clash with rick because he is very demanding of especially his lead ball handler so from that perspective like a little you know always going to be a little concerned about rick uh making tyrese hate life but i do think like look Halberton was really good and everyone knew it in Sacramento. And getting him in this trade was an absolute win if you're going to have to trade Sabonis. And I think having him in Rick Carlisle's system will help. I think the questions are going to be how do they fix the defense? Because that's going to be an ever changing issue. And some of that's probably just the veterans got to get healthy, right? You also got to get like some sort of consistency with a pick and roll partner just because it's like a different dude every single night. And you want to build like Tyrese and whoever, to be able to build into that pick-and-roll relationship because a good role, in, you know Turner, I think, will work in this regard to a degree if that's the direction that they take. But I also like Isaiah Jackson a lot. like I want to see a lot more of, the, of that combo because I think that it can lead to some pretty good things. Yeah, part of what's made
1: Halliburton's assist number so jarring for me is the screening thing that you just talked about. Like his first game, Isaiah Jackson starts, then Goga starts twice. And, and Goga's the worst screener in the NBA, maybe, even though he's he made some great short-roll decisions in that game. But you know, setting him up is challenging. And then in the last game he played, Jalen Smith, who they just became teammates, were partnering up a lot. Terry Taylor setting screens, who's like the best player in the NBA all of a sudden. So he he still had 16 assists in one game, 14 in another, despite on the fly teammate changes. He yeah. barely knows these guys. You know, that that's really impressive and will fit with anyone, especially when the vets come back, which we'll talk about later. And the defense is a point that, you know, obviously when when your team changes, you know, a lot of the the analysis is like, what are they doing good? What are they doing that that can be lasting to the next era of the Pacers? Their defense, no one's talked about it because it's been horrible since the trade. I'm glad you brought it up. Like they they did defend okay against the Wizards, but the fourth quarter, the Wizards suddenly start to hit a million threes and almost you know, made them have an embarrassing comeback defeat. And they have no vets. Like O'Shea Brissett has been their best available defender. Other than that, it's basically all either young guys or bad defenders available for this team. Yeah. So it's hard to evaluate both. You know, Halliburton's been really good, but it's been really hard to evaluate the team in general kind of because so many guys have been out. They've had a revolving door of, of front court rotation. Basically, Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton's been like the only constants, the two new players uh, in, in the rotation, and Lance Stevenson. So, You know we've seen some impressive skills and how these guys can fit and where they might struggle, but it's also tough for me to say okay they're going to always be bad at defense because I have no idea how they'll look with with Turner in there, with Brogdon in there, with McConnell back, all those guys. No idea how they'll look on defense with any capable wings at all. They have no threes on the roster right now, Uh, so it's it's really hard to get a feel for it. And it makes it makes the highs a little more impressive, but it also makes like okay, Buddy Heald's not going to score thirty six. You know when this roster is full, what's his role going
0: to be like going forward? Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting to see like what Rick decides to do defensively too. Cause um, he has pretty like, he has a history of of various schemes playing drop a lot. Um, that was kind of the, the go-to in Dallas. And so I think this team might be a little bit more switchable. I think that's one of the interesting things about it is like, I think you can switch a little bit more and the Pacers have been a little bit more aggressive at the level too this season. I think you can switch a little bit more. I think Halliburton because of his length is going to be pretty good in that regard. I think Chris Duarte, uh, has not been good recently, but I look just athleticism wise, size wise, I think it's a, a there's some upside there. I think Turner obviously is a guy you can switch one through five again if they retain him. And Brogdon, I think, is switchable. Like, I think this projects as a pretty switchable team when they're fully healthy, which is hard to imagine because good God, I've not been able to see this team fully healthy <laughs> at any point this season. Like, that's been like that was the whole thing that was surprising about how this whole season went down. Um, after their first two weeks, I bet this team to make the playoffs. Cause I was like, there's no way that this could get worse. It got worse. But this new look team, um, it did. I, I do think has a lot of upside because look, I, again, um, I like, I, I like what Jackson brings. I think that he's got upside on, on he's gonna have to learn, right? There's a lot of, there's a steep learning curve there. When I watch them, I think a lot of the reason that their their defensive struggles, it feels like is the pace it's harder to play fast and defend. It just typically has been. And they played a little, they played faster. And if you get a bunch of young guys and you're like, okay, we're going to get up and down the floor. You're going to give up a lot of, of easy stuff. And I think if you, especially I'll say this too, some of the team, like the wizards, like that's actually a team I think that wants to be like, don't make your things hard for us. Just let us kind of go like run up and take a jumper. That's kind of what they want. Athletes and guys that can shoot is kind of what the wizards have. So I think in general, there's maybe more upside long-term going into the next season defensively than what we might see the rest of this year. Yeah, the pace
1: thing with Carlisle is interesting. And, you know, I was kind of workshopping in my head how I wanted to discuss how this team fits with Carlisle's style. You know, I was researching their pace in past seasons. And so so since the trade, fastest team in the league, like 13-second possessions all the time, whizzing the ball around, smart cutters, Halliburton can hit guys, and it's working. Their offense has been pretty good since the deadline. Their defense has not, like we talked about, and the pace is a factor there. But you look at Carlisle teams historically. This is just the last three years. It doesn't even go back to Dirk, who obviously you play slow when Dirk is your focal point. Just the last three years, 26th last year, the Mavs were 18th year before that, 19th year before that. So not necessarily like crawling two of those three years, but definitely crawling last year. He does like to slow it down, call some set sometimes, not be flying up and down the court. It makes it easier to set the defense, do what he wants to do on that end. So I am curious about how that will look long-term if they continue to be really fast, because that seems to work. They have good cutters. They can switch on D, which is nice for a little bit faster of a game. Halliburton is excellent at any speed, and you know they have willing shooters now, so fast possessions aren't bad necessarily for them. But if it, if it hurts their defense so much that they can't win, they'll have to find more of a balance there. And that that's where I think the biggest disconnect between what we know of Carlisle and what this team has looked like so far is going to come is, where do they settle in in terms of speed? Did, can they play this fast forever and still be successful? Or do they have to find a way to to, to rein things back a little bit, to find a way to be a little more of a half-court team? And when they have, again, they're all youth right now. When they have Brogdon, when they have McConnell, they'll be able to slow down a little bit. But how much, what is, what is the happy medium? Because that, to me, with Carlisle and this team, and he doesn't coach young teams that often anyway, is going to be where I, I kind of, I want to see where that disconnect comes to an agreement as this team grows
0: you know what's interesting is is they're not i'm looking at some of the data over at second spectrum and since the trade they're actually not that bad in transition like they, they're and they're actually um their issue hasn't been in the half it, it's definitely been in the half court like they're giving up 1.195 in the half in non-transition chances since the trade like that to me is is kind of an indication so maybe like the whole idea of and what it might be, honestly, is it's not even necessarily transition, but it's like mid-transition, right? Just got teams are getting into actions sooner. Like that kind of vibes is what I've seen, too, where it's not even necessarily like just runouts. It's just they're able to get there's no real point of attack. Um, I do think asking the question about Carlisle. I am very curious to know like what Carlisle thinks, right, about like just this roster, like what he envisions for this team. You know, Rick's been around and he is not exactly known like his teams in Dallas were killer offensively and bad defensively, which was very strange to watch as a guy that watched him coach in Indiana in the two thousands. And then in Dallas um, early on, like his teams were very and in Detroit, like his teams were always pretty sound defensively. And he shifted with the times more towards the offense. I am going to be curious to see kind of what approach he takes with pace. If he feels, and also you got veterans on this team now, you know, like miles and Malcolm are not, they're not old, but they're not young bucks either. Right. So how do you kind of factor in what's the best pace for those guys? Like, are you going to try and be like a, a fast paced offensive team? I like kind of like the blazers the last couple of years. And we're also seeing in, in, with where the league, and this will be really fascinating next year too. The league is just so much more defensive oriented this year. Like this is just a year where because of the foul changes, it's big, more important to be better on the defensive end. And we're seeing that all over. Um, it'll be curious to know if if Rick thinks that he can be successful playing at that kind of pace. I kind of lean towards. No, I think that for the most part now, this is very much like a, I want to see what you could do. So go out there and push it and let's try and score some and let's see what, what's your, what are your offensive strengths and weaknesses? And then we can figure out the defense when we have, you know, a team.
1: Hey guys, let's take one short little break to talk about the good folks over at bet online because football might be over for this season, but basketball is still in full steam ahead for both pro and college hoops. And from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where to find where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, sports podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage and information, head over to the website today or use their mobile device to learn more about the trends in action at betonline.net. Betonline is where the game starts. He even had a point earlier this season, I forget exactly when it was. I want to say early December, where they lost a couple in a row. And Rick, in a post-game, was like, I'm calling too many plays. Like I'm not letting these guys play free. He said it, mm-hmm. he knew it. And then they won three in a row and then their season has hit the fan completely and you know since that three game winning streak they've been like the worst team in the league but he knows when how much he needs to control the game and knows when it's when he's you know doing that too much and so i think he can get that part down the defense is where i like you just said will be very intrigued like it's been strange like they the tyson chandler teams he loved tyson chandler right like the, the Mavs love that dude because he changed their whole team to this defensive juggernaut. What perhaps Carlisle's biggest reputation thing as a coach is the zone adjustment in the finals against Miami, right? Like, is the, Or just any defensive adjustment he made that series, right? Defensive adjustments were like the thing that was like, okay, this is what Rick Carlisle's really good at. And he's obviously a really good offensive coach too. But to see how he transforms his team, that worst point of attack defense I've seen from the Pacers since covering them, how does he? How does he make that mesh with what he thinks basket? How he thinks basketball should be played, the speed he thinks they should play at, all that kind of stuff will be just totally fascinating. And and I think that the vets coming back will be a big part of it too. But you know, J- like Jalen Smith, what what is he- he's playing the four now? Like is he supposed to just become a good point of attack perimeter defender all of a sudden? Is Buddy Hield going to learn how to play defense? Like they might have to make a lot more switching changes, and then all of a sudden they're not going to be as good defense, and then they can't do it as slowly. So a lot of stuff. With this team in Carlisle, especially if they want to be good next year, like they're saying, you know, they're going to have to figure a lot out pretty quickly. There's only two months left of the season, not even. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that all come together.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why I think the rest of the season is is maybe you know, depending on what they do. Like I, I'm kind of surprised they haven't just shut down Malcolm for the, like just be done, just okay. Interesting. Go, Interesting. Go, go 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 get help go get yourself because this in and out in and out in and out thing is just, that to me to me seems you're never gonna what, what's
1: the where's it, to have an in and out part you have to be in he's yeah. <laughs> only played three games in like two months I think but
0: but the whole thing is he's not out though right it's like right, right. questionable it's still like well you know to have to shoot around and he's gonna give it a go okay he's gonna he's gonna play tonight and it's just like.
1: No, like at some point, just I've seen him, I've mm-hmm. seen him practice a lot, like a, a lot, yeah. of the last month, you know. And I know they're being, a, a, and to the Pacers' credit, Achilles are the thing that, like, yeah, as cautious yeah. as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead, but it is very weird that they're like he practiced in full today, but he's out. You know, so maybe they are shutting him down softly. But I, I would think, so, yeah. sorry to cut you off, I would think getting the data point of Halliburton plus Brogdon minutes would be kind of important to them, right? Like he is trade eligible again this off season.
0: That's an interesting question, right? Like, if do you want to go into, do you want to go into knowing whether or not you need to trade Malcolm or not? That's an interesting question. If you're planning on building around Tyrese, I kind of think, however, here, here's what I'd say: I, I don't think Malcolm ever loses value. I think you yeah, can I go into next, you can probably go into next season and be like, we're gonna see, you know, like let's see how this goes, and then if it's like, you know, what Tyrese is playing really well, we like the upside let's go ahead and, and move him, but it, it, again, this is always the, this is also the question is here right, you you made these trades which set you up with good long-term assets. You still have a remainder of current assets and I'm not criticizing that because I'm not I am one of the few people that will not be like, why do not the Pacers just blow it up? I'm not gonna do that because um, I've watched herb Simon run a team for more than 40 seconds. like I know what the deal is. <laughs> Right, and I actually think it's really good. I think if you look back, I, I made this point on Twitter. The Indiana has been so consistently competitive that there's actually I think value to that like he's shown that he can build. They haven't won a title, but you could do this. Like you can build contending teams. They just haven't had that year where it was like up. Oh, LeBron, you know, tweaked his ankle and or whatever, like you know, hurt his hamstring. Tough luck. But the Pacers managed to get through and and win a random one. Like never had that happen for them. And so what i'm kind of returning to here is trying to evaluate if they want to go full in because if you're looking at all right we need to evaluate malcolm well if you want to evaluate malcolm then you want to evaluate malcolm and you want to evaluate tj and you want to evaluate miles like you need to see like how all of these different things that you have go together and what you're going to keep and what you're not and that's why i think you know, it might be better, honestly, because you know at least what those guys have in terms of their value. It might be better to, to really just be like, all right, we're going to play the young guys. We're going to figure out exactly what we've got outside of those other dudes, and then we'll make a determination on whether or not next year we're going to try and merge the two concepts of the young, old guys and the young guys, or if we're going to go in one direction or the other. Yeah, the the Tony East plan... Actually, let me go back for a second. You talked about
1: you know them... Not having the LeBron injury or anything like that. The four best Pacers teams ever. 1998, lose to MJ. 2000, lose to the best Shaq ever. The brawl season, and then losing to the Heatles Twice. It's like that. their best teams just were at the worst times, basically, yeah. basically, to be awesome. But anyway, I think the Tony East plan and I, the Pacers plan could be totally different. There's a lot of paths they could go. My plan would be, as soon as possible, I want all of McConnell, Turner, and Brogdon to play. And I just yeah. want to get all the data points I can on. Okay, you know, I've, uh, we've never seen these guys with Tyrese. We've never seen these guys with Buddy. O'Shea's playing the three now. How does that look with these guys? Jalen Smith can he actually play the four next to another big? You know, what, what's the deal there? Can Isaiah Jackson play the four next to these guys? How does this all fit? What can we because especially with Turner, who's an expiring this summer. Like I, I yeah. really think they need to figure out where he is both health wise and with this team. I would. That's what I would do. And I wouldn't be aggressive about it necessarily because health is very important. But seeing how they fit in on this team is extremely important if they really want to be good next year. Because if those guys don't fit or their role doesn't make sense, what's the point of bringing them back? You know, you have a full season of Halbert Carlisle coaches your team. So that's what I would do. And I think Brogdon can fit with Halbert really well. Buddy Heald shooting yeah. can really help them. Yeah, they desperately need any defense. So Miles Turner <laughs> well, it might, yeah. might make them look awesome right away. But I, I just need to see it and I'm curious how you think they'll fit and if that is a stupid strategy too aggressive of a strategy how should they
0: play it? I don't think it's I don't think it's stupid at all. like I get the idea because especially like if you think about it and you're like, hey, I want to see what Malcolm Hallie healed Warren Turner. like what does that look like? like three good shooters your wing defense is gonna suffer, but you got Malcolm. It's switchable. Like, there's a lot there. Like, That just brings a lot to the table in terms of being pretty competitive. I think one of the dangers though, that you're going to run into here is um, I, the way that we look at I, I, I preach this a lot. Um, the way we look at the NBA season is in general as a kind of consensus. And I say this like having seen it and then like reevaluate it across all the years. We're just pretty bad at understanding how the season works. And what I mean by that is, there's this idea of like, well, it's early in November. It's, oh, it's early in December. And then it's like, well, you know, it's mid-season in January, but there's a lot of time. And then after that, after All-Stars, when people are like, okay, let's find out who these teams are. And I am just here to say, nothing in March matters. There's like seven games total that are going to matter and be meaningful in March. Maybe that is true. But let's exaggerate it. it Maybe say 20 games because you got like play in, the play in changes it because now the play in teams are like, no, 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 we got to beat this. Like this one, we got to win. We care about this one. But Phoenix after the all-star break is literally going to be like, our work here is done. (laughs) And if you're Miami, you're largely like, all right, look, if we get the one, great. We're in a battle here. And yeah, we could slip. We're in pretty good spot. We got a cushion. We're probably making the playoffs. Seating doesn't matter. We got to get healthy and make sure that we get our guys. So you have half the league that's like, We got to make sure that we do not suffer a major injury in the next month and a half before the playoffs. And then the other half of the league is like, screw it. It's time for that sweet, sweet Jabari Smith action. It is time to go ahead and go get me some Chet. I want a Chet. And so you have like this mix. And so the danger – now, there's two ways to look at this, which is um, not only is there the the talk about what you're saying, which is you get that data point of evaluation – But you look at the Wolves last year, the Wolves changed coaches, they changed approach, they changed some of the roster. And under Chris Finch, they said not to tank. And the reason they decided that is they actively wanted to be like, we want to figure out how this team needs to play. And then they took that and they made the changes they needed to and they carried it into the offseason. And now the Wolves are looking very much like at least a play in, if not playoff. So there's value there, right? Like, yeah, they beat up a bunch of teams, but they did figure out how to play together. And that I think was important on the other side of it. You can say like, look, you can rattle off five, six wins in March and convince yourself like, well, look, we had the six game winning streak at the end of March and they played really good. And they were, they had a 115 offensive rating and a one Oh five defensive rating. And those were the games where the guys played together. But you also have to factor in where were the opponents, not just in terms of how good they were, but what was their motivation level? So like, there's a risk to it. I don't know that there is a, a yes or no answer, like, I don't know like if there is if there is a absolute this is the way to go. And I think like that's one of a lot of this depends really on like where what do they think about Malcolm and, and Turner specifically and TJ I think to a certain extent. Um, both of them. But I you should have a good idea of, of do you want this guy next year or not? Like you should know that yeah. regardless of how like If you like him and the fit's not good with Halliburton, well, even let's figure it out. Like let's work on it and let's make it work versus trying to figure out the idea of, okay, this fit isn't great. And we should make a decision off of that. I don't disagree with having the data point though, because you're right that having more information going in the off season is always going to be more helpful.
1: Let's take one quick break guys to talk about the good folks over at bill bar who are making the best tasting protein bars ever. And I am not just saying that tons of locked on patrons listeners have tried them. And told me that they absolutely love them. The peanut butter brownie ones are awesome. But what makes Built Bar amazing, they are protein bars that are both healthy and delicious. 100% covered in chocolate. Super easy to chew and soft. Unlike those protein bars you can get at the store sometimes that are the chewiest non-edible things ever. And they're all delicious. There's so many good flavors. Everybody who's tried them absolutely loves them. They're basically a candy bar except it's healthy and it's a protein bar. You've got to try them yourself. Low-calorie, high-protein. Protein bars that you can use as a meal replacement or a snack. I've done it for both before. Most of them contain 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. You've got to try a mint brownie, coconut, coconut, almond, whatever you like. They've got it at Built Bar. Go to built.com. Use the promo code locked15 when you check out. You'll get 15% off your order. That promo code again is locked15 for 15% off at built.com. Yeah, if you're already on the fence, you're probably out on a guy at this point. So the, the flip side to the Minnesota thing, and that is a, – Minnesota is a great example, right? So the yeah. flip side to this is – and you mentioned, you said Jabari Smith's name. Playing the vets makes it harder to tank, and the Pacers would lo- love to have the best pick possible. And Minnesota did not have their first last year, which made evaluating and playing whoever it doesn't matter. They don't get to keep the – well, I guess they could have kept the pick, but whatever, odds are odds. So they just said, screw it. You know The Pacers have their pick no matter what. It's less tenable that way. They would like to get the best pick possible. And some of the play-in teams going in at the deadline means they're more likely to be top, like, seven than they were before the deadline. But less, like, it, it's very confusing. There's ceiling and floor stuff going on. But, um, you know, that is the the don't do that argument is, no, 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 don't play Brogdon. Don't, don't play these guys. Get the best pick possible and then see next year. Like you're saying, that is also a, a strategy. And if you don't know if you're going to keep a guy – you probably know that you're going to trade him at some point anyway. So that will be fascinating to me to see. You know what other data point I want to see the rest of this season? As many minutes of Tyrese Halbert and Chris Duarte as Rick Carlisle can possibly give me. If, if he could do 48 in a game, Tony East would love it. It would be very stupid for the patient <laughs> to actually do that. But I would love that because I love data and evaluating these guys. They've only played like 35 minutes so far, plus .3 net rating, whatever. But hey, it's a plus for a 20 and 40 team I'll take any plus as a positive evaluation point. Those two guys could be the future of this franchise with whatever picks they end up getting in this upcoming draft. You know, we've only seen 35 minutes perhaps you could talk about that, but how do you just con- conceptually feel like those two should fit together as a pairing?
0: I mean, that's what's interesting about the logjam, right? Is like you got you got I just I put together that lineup but I was like, "Hey, I want to see Brogden and Halley and, <laughs> and Heald" And I'm sure, like, if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, uh, Duarte, hello. <laughs> right. And it's like, yeah. I mean, this is the whole point, right, is you have assets that you're going to have to kind of make room for. You just are. And even if you're like, well, he'll come, come off the bench. That's fine. But I still think you're looking at you, you still have Malcolm and Hallie and Duarte, all who are going to need touches. Look, I mean, conceptually, look, if they decide to just if if they've decided to wait because Turner was injured and they didn't want to move him until he got back and you know, TJ's injured and Warren is injured and they're waiting on him and Brogdon can't be moved until the summer. And they just really are just like, that's possible, right? Like it's entirely possible that the Pacers could just be like, yeah, we're just going to wait. And then we're going to flip all those this summer and, and reconfigure the team around the young guys. Wouldn't be a bad move. Like, honestly, like I'll say this, there's a, I, and you would be able to know more about the, the, the ins and outs of what they've said and indicated to reporters and, um, and in com- public comments or behind the scenes and sources, et cetera. But if I'm looking at it, one of the things that happens a lot in free agency is, you know, teams are like, all right, we're cleaning this cap space and we're going to go get a guy. Oh no, he went somewhere else. Like this is the Pelicans problem. But what you can do then is you can say, Hey, you know, we've got this guy and we'll, you know, move it into a trade exception or for a pick or whatever else. And oftentimes you will, that's, I think there's honestly a better leverage opportunity at, in free agent, at the end of free agency than there is at the trade deadline. I think, If you're trying to move assets, that's the best time to move it because then you catch a bunch of teams that are like, we missed out on our top three targets. All three of our top guys went somewhere else. And that GM is like, clock's ticking on my job and I would like to make the playoffs and not get fired. And so who has like guys that can help me win now? The Pacers. So if you go that direction, I think that it can work. Um, getting back to Duarte, like I like the combo. Like you can just build around Halley and Duarte, and I think that that works, right? It's it's a playmaker, three level scorer versus and Duarte, who's a three level scorer. Like I think you have two guys that in time will be a combo. Like that's what everybody kind of wants is one of those those backcourt combinations where you have so much scoring, and then you add a force down low, and you're kind of set. Um, I do think it's going to be interesting to see just from the perspective of what direction they go with the bigs and how they design the offense because um I have a hard time figuring out Duarte in terms of what kind of scorer is he going to be long term is he going to be more on ball creation is it going to be more catch and shoot like there's evolutions that can go multiple directions and I'd be interested to know kind of what you think about that
1: Yeah I think you know he is a really good tough shot maker which is a yeah. scary skill it's a scary skill because those guys can be Fickle in any game where you love you hate the shot they take and they make it or they they take too many sh- tough shots and too you out of it. But I think he is pro. He is better on attacking the basket. So I think he'll probably be his best fit with Halley To me, would be secondary creation kind of guy. And and passing yeah. his setting up his teammates has not really been his strong point at all. That's something Brogdon and Carlisle have really stressed to him. Like, hey, you know, you you make some of them, but. Some of these shots you take, you should probably be, you know, head up looking for a teammate, or you know, just turn around, dump it out behind the three point line. That maybe a better shot will come later in the possession. If not, you can shoot that at the end of the clock. Whatever. So they're working on him with that, but I think that the fact that that's not there yet, and he can't really be the, you know, a passer, and he's not like a knockdown. He's a pretty good shooter, but he's not a knockdown shooter. I think the best role for him is that secondary slash off the dribble. You know, Halley breaks down the defense. He finishes the blow or something like that kind of situation. But it's possible if his passing develops, he could be the better scorer and have the ball more often, you know, be the end of clock bailout guy. Like his ISO game is pretty smooth and there is not a defender in the world. He will not try to shoot the ball over the top of sometimes to his detriment. But uh, so I, I think that he could develop in that way. But I don't think he'll be a behind the arc exclusively or focused kind of player just given the way he is. And he's worked a lot this season, and this is something Karis Lavert had to work on even. Like, this is a never-ending goal for players. Get all the way to the rim on your drives. You know, the pull-up and the floater can be really helpful, but you shoot way better with one more dribble. It takes so long for that to click for guys. And so him and Karis have both been working on that this year, and that could make Duarte even better because I think reducing him to a shooter isn't going to work out very well for him. Uh, So I, I would try to use him in that way, like attack a lot, as a secondary guy, the the defense is already bending. You just got to take two dribbles and boom, you'll have an easy shot. And I think he can do that really well. But if he develops any passing, then all of a sudden they could both be anything. And then I then I don't know how to feel about it.
0: Yeah, and I think, again, this gets interesting with, with Malcolm, where I think Malcolm is an incredible incredible playmaker. He's just really savvy. He knows how to make the right play, but he also can play off ball and kind of spot up. What's interesting was like uh, – No, 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 Matt. I was told by
1: Pacers fans that Malcolm Brogdon is not a true point guard – and should not be allowed to pass the ball. He should be. It is the the craziest words get thrown around when people talk about Malcolm Brogdon. Carry on. That, I like defense sometimes.
0: That, that's crazy. Um, it's interesting because this is like one of those uh, interesting case of the perception of somebody that catches the team. Like I've watched a lot of Pacers games, but not as many as you. Um, I've lost a lot of money on the Pacers <laughs> too. Very painfully the season. God, the clutch time stuff makes me cry. Um, can I tell you how many times it's been like, oh, I should just cash out now they've got a safe lead here. And then no, and it's nothing but suffering. Um, but what's interesting is like when you look at the like the, the raw data on some of the, the stuff like Duarte this season, like I have kind of envisioned him as like very much a, like a perimeter weapon. And on catch and shoot you know, he's 87th percentile this season on catch and shoot on 113 possessions, which is really good. Like he does kind of profile as a, a three point spot up weapon. And so the question is, if you have, there's not it was there. that high. And, and well, and here's the thing, this is what's interesting, right? Is, is it better long-term for the Pacers for him to become that secondary playmaker? So then you have, especially like, let's say you keep Brogdon, and you have Brogdon and you have Halley and you have Duarte. You have three guys that can all shoot and create that puts defenses in a real bind. You're able to put together combinations of those where at any time on the floor, it's not just heliocentrism where it's like, look, we're just going to have to get the ball out of his hands and then deal with everybody else because there's a limitation. That's one of the, the influx points that we're in with the league is this is a broader conversation, but what we're seeing a lot is there was so much heliocentrism in terms of one guy having the ball. And just like coming off of a pick and driving and kicking or shooting, that teams really have designed a lot of their defenses to just say, we're gonna get the ball out of that guy's hands. We're gonna make anybody else make a play. Because everybody else, their entire role is catch the ball from the star and shoot. And so, or dunk it. And so if you make other guys make plays, it gets tougher. And now we're seeing the adaptation the other way where we're seeing a lot of teams opt towards these more diverse sets of all these different guys can hurt you on ball. I think the bulls are a good example of this where DeRozan can shoot and create Levine can shoot and create Lonzo can shoot and create. And that's one of the reasons that they've been really successful along with how Vooch has played and some of the bench guys is having that diversity really does help when you do not have like a single, if we cut the head off the snake, this thing cannot survive. And with the Pacers, I think one of the good things is, they are set up in a very good position to have multiple guys that can hurt you, and that I think is a good model for building a, a team long term in a market like Indiana.
1: That's a good way to put it, and I like the the cut the head off the snake part because like a lot of games this season, they either wouldn't focus enough on letting Sabonis create, or they just it wouldn't the other team would cut him off, and they just had no way, especially when Brogdon was hurt, to really reliably create shots and. Yeah. It wasn't like an over-reliance on Savotas necessarily. Like they've been really injured this season. But it was kind of jarring how many games that it was just like, they can't get a good look at all without giving him the ball. So having more options and more versatility there is interesting. And yeah, Brogdon's an interesting fit because he came to Deanna wanting to play point guard. He wants to be a point guard. He can do a point guard role very well. If this is kind of a three-headed monster tertiary thing, how's he going to feel about that? How's he going to fit into that? That's another Tony Easton's data points conversation give me all of the brogdon duarte Halbert minutes except actually don't play malcolm brogdon that much because his achilles is about to explode apparently or else he wouldn't be sitting out all this time i don't think that's actually true it's just if he's missing two months with an achilles soreness i would say it's just weird
0: yeah. i just again so weird to just be like yeah no he's questionable with an achilles okay he's gonna play tonight next game no no he's questionable with an achilles and i'm just like okay if it hurts like a good idea is just to rest it is it not like i I'm not like that's again what, hashtag. The not one time we got
1: to, the one time we got to talk to Malcolm at practice that's what he said it was all caution it's just a pain management thing and then like 3 days after that's when they originally shut him down for 10 days and then after that he was practicing and doing one on one but not full practicing and then late last week he started full practicing but i think at that point they didn't say this but it was kind of just like okay there's 3 games till the all-star break like why you know why why would we put him out there at this yeah. point just give him the rest of the time off that's what I that's what my interpretation of the timeline is, but that is not – that is some guessing. You know, there's some guesswork, in there are just like what what they're thinking about that. So we'll see. I think that Duarte-Halliburton combo can work very well, especially because Duarte can defend, right? Because that will make Hallie's life a lot easier in general is that he won't have – I mean he's never supposed to profile as a defender, but he won't have to – excuse me, my phone just slammed down. Won't have <laughs> to defend the other team's best players ever hardly if he's playing with Duarte, which will help a lot. Duarte has defended the other team's best player often this season, and that included – when a lot of the Pacers were healthy. Do you have anything else about the Pacers that you would like to talk about or find interesting? I just finished our itinerary, and I'm five minutes and 15 seconds past how long I thought I would hold you.
0: Um, I guess I would ask you, who are the other guys on this team that you think have like long-term potential to stick? Like, Who are the guys that, outside of the returning, like the starters that are out currently, which they're going to have to figure out, who are the guys that you have felt like have the best long-term value if they're going to try and build around, especially Halliburton, Duarte?
1: Yeah, O'Shea Brissett is always a guy that I talk about in that way. He can play multiple positions. He's only 23, and the stuff he's good at happens to be stuff that Duarte and Halliburton don't, you know, are not as good at. You know, good defensive rotations. He's six seven, so he can defend bigger guys. He can catch and shoot really well. He's a great cutter. You know, he fits extremely well with both of them in general. I've always been a, a little higher on him than anyone's consensus, but his timeline fit with this team is also just excellent. So he's one. That I think, you know, he's been starting at the three since the trade deadline. Like that's new for him. He's always been a four. Throughout training camp, Carlisle was like yeah, we're playing Torrey Craig as the backup three. O'Shea's is just a four. We only view him as a four. And now they're like, okay, just kidding. He's a three. So that that, that, that made me laugh. He's one. Isaiah Jackson, we barely talked about today. I mean, he just looks incredible some of the times he plays because he can jump. He could jump over me. Literally. That's not, that's not like stretching the truth. Like he could literally jump over me. So he, he obviously profiles to be part of this future. So those two, Terry Taylor is apparently the best player in the NBA. Like I joked about earlier, he puts up laughable offensive rebounding numbers every game. Uh, and then after that, you know, a lot of vets, that's
0: futures aren't perfectly clear to me. Um, let's, uh, let's go back to, to, to Jackson for a second. So do you have, what's your level of confidence in Jackson as like a long-term starter?
1: Oh yes, I think he will be for sure. Okay. I mean, he's already, he's already like not already. I never should say that with the rookies. He can defend now. And that's really – like he can defend four positions, I think. The Pacers are saying five in training camp, and I was like, ha-ha, okay, it's a rookie. He can't really defend five positions. And then he played, and you're like, oh, my God, he can defend a lot of positions. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely,
0: I think he'll be a starter someday. Does he change – does that estimation change your evaluation of Turner's value long term?
1: Um, yeah, a little bit. Well, and and that's <laughs> data point, Tony over here. That's my favorite word today. <laughs> can I see, can I see Jackson plus Turner at the same time? You know what Pacers yeah. fans really want is to see a different two center lineup for the rest of the season. Right? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I would love to see that because, and, and Kevin Pritchard said this, you know, we, we did the post draft press conference with Duarte and Isaiah, and then we got to talk to KP one-on-one and he's like, you know Jackson obviously has skills to be a five, but we think he can be a four. He can defend fours. Mm-hmm. He can kind of shoot. He's shooting threes now. He made a bunch in the G League, which doesn't always translate, but still, they think they they really think he can be a four. And I know they bu- buy that stuff because they've played Sabonis at the four all year. They've been starting Jalen Smith at the four, right? Like they're not opposed to it. So that would not stun me if he could play at the four one day. And then I really think he projects as a long term starter if he can play two positions.
0: Man, it's interesting just because it's like, OK, you got uh, let, let's just go ahead and remove heel. Let's put him on the bench. That's fine. Um, sure. Yeah. Malcolm, <laughs> Hallie, <two> players, <laughs> Duarte, <laughs> Jackson and Turner. And that's before TJ. <laughs> that's before Warren. And then you guys, Isaiah, like or you got Isaiah is a four. I, yeah, they there's just like a lot of stuff to figure. I, I agree that there's a lot of stuff to figure out. And I guess the better option is to get the data points and to try and figure out what works and where it doesn't. And then go based off of those estimations, plus your priors to try and make an estimate and market value on both of those guys. I just, I look at Jackson and I, I like the idea. Like, I really like the idea of Hallie Dorte, Jackson. And I'm, I'm typically not like captain Ooh, the young guys, like I fight this with nuggets fans all the time who are just like, why don't they just play Zeke, Naji and bones Highland 48 minutes a game. I don't understand. And I'm like, guys, they, that's not how, okay. Um, but I do think, I do think that you have a set of skills there that might be able to grow. And I think the, really the question is like, do you want to build something sustainable or do you want to try and build a hybrid, pretty competitive team? And those decisions I think are very interesting and tough and you're having to evaluate a lot of things, but I kind of like the idea of being able to leverage the assets they have this summer and build around that trio. Cause I'm just, I'm very high on Jack. Like I just, I, every time I watch yeah. him this season, I'm like, okay, like there's something here. And with Duarte's, I think defensive ability. And if you could, I think, I think in time, Halliburton can get to be a pretty good defender. And the reason I think that is if you just get the Kings out of them, like you just got to detox the Kings from Hallie. And I think that you're like, there's a lot. Of, that's amazing is he was really good despite being on the Kings. And that's hard to do. The, the, you know, what's funny. You, you all know this. You've covered league for forever. Like every time a guy gets traded, it's
1: almost always the same presser. I'm really excited to be here. I I've always thought this about this team. We're going to do X, Y, Z. We're going to be great. You know, it's like some of it's a little unique and cool, but most of it's like cookie cutter stuff, Buddy healed. First presser in Indy, right? I'm expecting that. You know, I'm excited to be in Indy. I can shoot. I can help this team, blah, blah, He's like, yeah, I'm just psyched to be out of Sacramento. I was like, that's all you have to say? It was really funny. So that is certainly a thing that could help this team. And you know what's funny? As you talk about this logjam of youth and vets and trying to build a starting five, we haven't even mentioned Mr. Top 5 Pick and where they fit into that equation. Who knows what position that player ends up being. And they have like the 22nd pick from the Cavs. I have no idea how they're going to build a team, but I sense as we shuffle through this crunch, the changes could be on the way for this Pacers team. Matt, thank you for the time. I very much appreciate it. First of all, everybody, I'll say this part. Matt hosts Lockdown Nuggets and one day of Lockdown NBA, so very much a friend of the pod. Has all the lovely webcam gear, if you couldn't tell, for the Lockdown Network. But where can people follow you and all your stuff? You're putting out stuff
0: every day now. Yeah, follow me at HP Basketball. Locked on NBA on Tuesdays. We're having the Monday games with David Ramil. Uh, You can follow me at HP Basketball on Twitter. Download the Action Network app. It's the best way to get up to the second information on scores. If you want to track scores, ours is faster. I've tracked it in the arena. We're actually ahead of the TV feed. So if you want to just keep up with scores fastest on a lightweight program, it's not going to weigh down your phone. Use the Action Network app. Uh, I also host buckets, which is a betting focused NBA podcast. You can check that out on the action network podcast network of uh, it's called buckets. And yeah, I'm over at locked on nuggets as well. Thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it.
1: It was great. It was wonderful. Lots of insight on this young and growing team next week. I'll be on vacation this weekend, everybody. So tentative schedule next week as we get this on the books. I think one player is going to be on the show. Uh, Evan Sidery, formerly from Lockdown Suns, is going to talk to us about Jalen Smith and TJ Warren and this new Pacers team. going to talk Halliburton at All-Star Weekend. Lots to cover still, even though the Pacers aren't playing, so stick around for that. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend, and
0: we'll see you on Monday.